Well, Redeemer Church, good morning. I'm glad you're here. We're glad that it's another Friday. We get to worship God together as a community. If you're new to us, my name is Dave Furman. I serve as one of the elders here. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for much of the past few months. But before we get in, just a few things. Just a reminder to all the ladies that are here, we have a, our next ladies Bible study in 1 Peter is happening at 1.15 after this uh, service. So ladies, you can head on down to the Palms area where our children's ministry is to study, study God's word together. And just a reminder as well of the Praying Through the Psalms conference that's happening tonight and tomorrow morning in Jebel Ali at the Dubai Evangelical Church Center. It actually starts just after six. And so I think it says five, but they moved it to, to six. And so come just a few minutes before 6 p.m., get registered, uh, join us. If you haven't registered yet, that's okay. Um, just show up and um, we'll make space. Also pray for me as I preach later today at the Arabic Evangelical Church. Actually, I'll be preaching there in about an hour and a half. So pray, um, and I'm not rude, but as soon as I finish preaching and step down from this pulpit, I'm going to make a mad dash for the back to get into a car because the service will have already been start, started. I think the goal is to get me there literally right before I need to walk up uh, to preach. And so we'll be, we'll be going there as fast as we can, of course, obliging all the traffic laws of Dubai and being under the speed limit by the grace of God. Um, but a very prayerful drive that the Lord will get us there without traffic. Um, as I need to, I think, preach right at one o'clock. So pray as I um, greet the saints there, pray for changed lives. I also want to give an update on some amazing news about Frugera. You may know, we've said a couple times, we've been praying for land and a building in uh, Frugera. Um, last week, Pastor Steve actually received a map that had two plots of land to choose from. This was really the culmination of I think around 100 visits of, of Pastor Steve to the Ruler's Court. And I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I might be actually um, underselling what he's done because he went basically every week for the past couple of years. Sometimes he went daily to try and get to talk to someone. Uh, he was there um, praying, patiently making this request. And so after almost 10 years of living there, over five years of pastoring there, after all these visits, the map came. But then also this last week, as a surprise to all of us, he got a call to go in and an, an invitation to go meet with the crown prince of Fujairah. So as you do when you get a call from royalty, we hurried up with about 15 hours notice and drove up to Fujairah. And we met with Sheikh Mohammed bin Hamid bin Mohammed uh, al-Sharki. And it was just a wonderful visit. He's a, a gracious uh, man. We thanked him for his generosity. We thanked him for his tolerance and for his love for, for Christians. Uh, some of us in the, the small entourage there with Pastor Steve, including Steve himself, have some Texas USA uh, roots. And so Pastor Steve even wore his Texas boots. And the crown prince told us how much he's loved his trips to Texas, even going to West Texas on a hunting trip in the past. And so the boots were surprisingly a great connecting point. Had a lovely time uh, talking with him. And it's our understanding that land is being granted. And here's the interesting thing about Frugera that's unique, really, from the UAE, maybe anywhere else, I don't know. But there, they're actually connecting Steve with their engineer and with their architect to design a suitable building. And, and here's the way the rulers of Frugera are organizing it, is that while the church will have to pay a, a monthly fee of sorts, I guess, 
similar to maybe a rental fee. That, that, but the government, what they're saying is that they'll actually build the building. They'll fund uh, the building, which is amazing. I really don't know another situation like it. And so let's, let's praise God for his work in Frigera. I mean, it's amazing. Um, and pray that, that there won't be any, any last-minute hiccups. But these are exciting days. We want to continue to pray for uh, Frugera. As I mentioned at our anniversary celebration, Pastor Steve and his family will be officially transitioning to, um, to, their, to the U.S. If, um, and we, we want to help. We want to be there for them. I think Steve will be technically the pastor until September. Um, but until then and beyond in this transition, uh, we want to help. And so if you're interested in taking a road trip down to Frugera during the week or being there on a Friday to help, uh, you could contact Mildred Fernandez, our deaconess of um, of member care. You can talk to the elders. We'd love to um, serve them in this time. And let's pray for S- Pastor Steve's work in the coming months. Let's pray for a God-appointed replacement. Let's pray for the rulers and for the church. Um, in fact, why don't we do that now? Let's, let's pray for Frugera. Oh, Father, we praise you for His Highness Sheikh Hamid bin Mohammed al-Sharki and his son, the Crown Prince, Sheikh Mohammed bin Hamid bin Mohammed al-Sharki. We thank you for these gracious men. We thank you for these wonderful men who rule over Frugera lovingly and their model of tolerance. Bless them and would you shine your light in their hearts. Would Emmanuel Church of Frugera be a light for the gospel in that land? Would many come to faith through the church's witness, through the proclamation of the word, and through the power of the spirit? Bless the church in this time of transition. Raise up a new pastor and continue the work you've begun there. And now as we approach your word, guide us to the truth. Transform our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the story is told of a zoo known for its collection of animals. One day, the beloved gorilla died. And to keep up the appearance of the full range of animals, the zookeeper hired a man to wear a gorilla suit and to fill in for the gorilla, to fill in for the dead animal. It was his first day on the job, and the man didn't really know how to act, how to move like a gorilla. The training program was cut short because they needed a gorilla ASAP. The man tried to to move like the animal, but he was a clumsy fake gorilla. He tripped and he fell through the wall into the enclosure next to it, the lion exhibit. That's a bad day. He was convinced his life was over. This was it. He was going to be lunch for the king of the jungle. Falling to the ground, he covered his face. He screamed as loud as he could until the lion came to him and said clearly, shh, be quiet or you're going to get us both fired. Keeping up appearances, pretending to be something you're not, portraying yourself on the outside in a way that doesn't reflect what's going on on the inside. This is hypocrisy. That's what our scripture is all about today. There are three sections that were just read for us, giving, praying, and fasting. But there's one main point. In each section, Jesus says, don't do as the hypocrites do. 
You must not be like the hypocrites. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now we're looking at verses 1 through 6 and then jumping to verses 16 through 18. In verses 7 through 15, Jesus has a little parenthesis where he'll talk further about how to pray, and we'll pick that up next time. But today we'll be looking at the main point of this entire section, hypocrisy. In those days, actors didn't wear makeup, but they wore masks representing the parts that they played. They were called hypocrites. Somebody who's one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside. It's the man dressed like a gorilla dancing in the zoo. And Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite. Here's the main point this morning. Just one point if you're taking notes. Don't be a hypocrite. Live for God, not man's empty praise. Jesus is telling us in our text this morning, don't be a hypocrite. Live for God, not man's empty praise. Well, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Here's the introduction to the whole section. I wonder what you're thinking, hearing that verse being read. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Dave. Do you remember what you just preached back in Matthew chapter 5? Didn't Jesus tell us in that chapter, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works, glorify your Father who is in heaven? But here it says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Is, is Jesus contradicting himself? Well, the answer is obviously no. But why? Did you notice there in verse 1, he doesn't just say beware of practicing your righteousness. He says beware of doing it in order to be seen by others. That clause is important. It's not just what we do. It's why we do what we do that's important. And in the context, Jesus is saying, beware of your righteousness if in serving God, if in giving and praying and fasting, if in your religious devotion, your goal is to attract attention for yourself. If so, you're not serving God. You're using God and others to serve yourself. Well, back in Matthew chapter 5, the context was Jesus was talking about being open about our faith. It was a statement of mission, being on mission despite opposition. There, Jesus talked about being faithful in persecution. He's arguing against the temptation to hide our relationship with Christ. He says, be salt, be light. Let your light shine before others. Be open. He's arguing against that temptation. We have to kind of pull back when we're afraid or when our reputation's at stake. But here in our passage, Jesus is speaking of our own vanity. Beware of practicing your works with a desire to show off. It's spirituality for the applause of man. It's an advertisement of activity for the adoration of others. Now, of course, if you're hospitable, if you are generous and give money, if you give your time, if you have university students over to your house, you share your life with others, of course, people will discover it. They'll be encouraged by it. It's not a sin for word to leak out that God is using you, but it's all about our motives. It's 
why, behind the why, we do something that's important. It's the heart behind the action. That's what Jesus is getting at today. And he gives us those three examples to consider in our passage. First, Jesus says, don't be a hypocrite in your giving. Jesus is picturing a ridiculous scene of a man who hires a trumpeter to blow his trumpet at the same time that he gives to the needy to announce his generosity to the world. In Jesus' day, the wealthy would pave the city streets. They had their names inscribed on highly visible stones on that street. In more recent times, when people donated money for building missionary ships that have their names engraved on the bronze on the ship. Philanthropists give money and orphanages are named after themselves. Many of us went to university classes in buildings named after the donors of those buildings. People give and people get praised. People have always been tempted to call attention to their gifts. But here, Jesus says in verse 2, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. This is accounting language. that You announce your giving to be praised by others. Well then, you've been paid in full. It worked. You've received your reward. What you wanted, you got. You want to be recognized by others? Goal accomplished. People, ooh and ah, at your generous giving. But if we perform for man's empty praise, we will receive it. The only problem is we'll find that it's indeed empty. Jesus says there's a better way, verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This is a little weird. If, if you're right-handed you'll probably give with your right hand. And when you do it, Jesus says, make sure your other hand, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that when you give, you need to tie your left hand behind the back or hide your left hand as you awkwardly grab the offering basket with your right hand and try to, try to stick your, your money in the bag. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. The point, don't advertise your gifts to others but don't even make it a big deal to yourself. That's what he's saying. Don't give to the needy so you can feel good about yourself. John Stott said, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not self-congratulation. Well, follow verse 4 instead. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's the key. Give in secret. Now, I'm, I'm so thankful for our church and the generous community that we have here. You give gracious, graciously to the church. You give graciously to the hurting. You do wonderfully with the benevolence offering that we'll be taking Later on this morning during communion, it's an offering that goes to those who are financially struggling in our midst. Many of you help individuals who are in debt and in unfortunate circumstances. That's wonderful. I love that about our church. But when you do, do you find ways, maybe subtle ways to let people know what you've done? How many people know you've given or loaned money? Could it be that you've looked for acknowledgement and applause? 
Of course, there's a place to talk about giving in order to get wisdom. If you've been asked for substantial financial help from someone, it's a good idea to check with our deacon of benevolence, Craig Plum, to alert the church to the need to seek counsel from him on how to proceed. There may be others already involved in helping this person. But again, what's your motive in talking about giving? Along with giving to the needy, we should give to the church in secret. All of our giving should be in secret. Most of you uh, give cash, but even then, it's not a good idea to take that big roll of filled with 1,000 Durham bills, and as the offering comes by, you just kind of lift that up, kind of peeling 1,000 Durham bill after another 1,000 Durham bill. You lift it high in a word of praise. As the offering bag comes down, you drop it in, coughing really loud to the glory of God. Now, that sounds extreme, but you, you get the point. Years ago, I visited a church, and the pastor asked the congregation to wave their tithes and offerings up high. And the lady right in front of us actually stood up on her chair and started waving her offering over and over, and she started doing a little offering dance. I'm not going to do the dance right now, but she was getting really excited about this. Now, I know what the Bible says. It says God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) But I think we can go over the top in doing that. Now, some of you can't waive your tithe or waive your offering because you give online via bank transfer or via credit card. Just so you know, our elders don't examine the list of givers at every elder meeting. There's not a checklist of names that we check off to make sure everybody's giving. There's no internal ranking of top 10 givers of Redeemer Church of Dubai that we secretly have or that we post somewhere. I don't even look at the gifts that come in. I'm not even sure how to get the list. That's how much I know. I suppose I could ask our accountants for it, but I don't want to know, and I want you to know that I don't know. I don't know. So we give generously, and it is encouraging to talk to one another about upping our giving. You know, we'll talk about treasure in a, in a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Ten places a good, 10% is a good place to start and to keep trying to increase that over time. We should encourage each other to give Again, what's the heart motive? Is it to show off or is it to spur on good works in our church? We should be a giving community, but not to impress one another, not to impress the elders. We don't give to get. We give to please God. Are there ways you're waiving your giving for man's recognition? Well, don't be a hypocrite in your giving. Live for God, not man's empty praise. Give to the needy, give to the hurting, give to the church's ministry, give regularly, give systematically, give consistently, give cheerfully, give sacrificially, make a plan for your generosity. Come to our finance course, which starts next month to learn to be a good steward of God's money. But don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't let your thumbs post photos of your generosity on Instagram for all to admire. Don't seek applause from man Give, God, give for God's pleasure, and don't be prideful in your own heart. Don't keep a record of your own good deeds. If you do, that's all the reward you're going to get. And that's sad. Well, there's a second illustration Jesus gives us. Don't be a hypocrite in your prayers. Verse 5. 
And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's nothing wrong praying in the synagogues. This is where the public reading of the word would happen. This is where prayers would happen. It's fine to pray on street corners. We should pray everywhere and at all times, the Bible tells us. The problem is praying in these places in order to be seen by others to gain approval from them. It's like leading us in prayer here on Friday morning to try to look spiritual and impress those of us sitting down there. One person has said, don't use vertical prayer to be a horizontal showcase. Don't use talking with God to impress others. It's great to pray pray for our friends, but not with the goal of being known as a prayer warrior. You know, in this section, Jesus is speaking here of someone who prays more in public than in private, someone who puts forth the persona that they're more spiritual than they are. Now, Jesus says, when you pray, verse 6, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's this theme again of privacy, secrecy. How's your private prayer life going? Are you praying more frequently and fervently when you're alone with God or when you're in public with others? How's praying for your enemies going? And after the sermon last week, have you started praying daily for those who've hurt you or for those who you've hurt? Have you followed through on that challenge? Are you asking God to miraculously reconcile those severed relationships? We're seven days in. How's it going? Now, I'll be honest, I don't like it very much some days. It's a reminder of the pain that I've felt in those relationships. I'd rather not think about the hurt. I'd rather escape the hurt and kind of bury the hurt down deep into the recesses of my heart. But even after just a week of praying, God is softening my heart. And I have to confess, I missed the day praying for them. I I just, just forgot. But even so, God is at work in me, and I trust that God is at work in their lives. So I'll, I'll press on. Now, how about you? How's your secret private prayer life? I mean, do you have one? I mean, do you wake up in the morning and say to the Lord, Father, I can't do this without you. I love you. I I need you. Help me. Are you praying for others? I mean, could the reason your prayers aren't being answered is that you're not actually praying? We talk about prayer, but we talking to God? Are we praying? Jesus is saying our public prayer life should flow out of our personal, private prayer life. Our public prayer life shouldn't be a show. It should be an overflow. The, the great theologian Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon called Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. He says, there's really only one thing you don't do for show in the Christian life, and it's secret private prayer. It's because no one knows about it except for God. 
He says, anything else you do, you could use for show somehow. And, and our motives are, all, are always mixed. So there's at least 1% of us that is hoping that what we're doing, even for God, is, is going to build our reputation, make ourselves look good. That can be mixed in all of our religious activities. But secret prayer, Edwards says, is the only thing we do just for God, just for him, not for, not for anyone else. Our studying of the Bible could be twisted as a means to show off our knowledge to others. Our ministry could be done to show off our faithfulness to God. But our private prayer life is one thing in our Christian life that we don't do for show, even in a little way, because no one knows about it. Edwards is saying, if you do everything else but secret private prayer, then all your Christian life is just for show. Now, there's normally a part of my sermon prep each week where I get really convicted in my study and I just have to stop writing the sermon and just examine my own heart. And this is where it was this week. I had to examine my own life. I can get so busy doing the ministry of the Lord and not be talking to the Lord. Well, friend, are you much alone with God or do you seek to make much of yourself before others? It's possible to be public in ministry and yet in secret with Jesus very seldom. If you don't have a thriving prayer life and yet others think you're a mature Christian, well, that's hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite in your praying. Live for God, not man's empty praise. Well, Jesus moves on to a third illustration. He shows us giving. He shows us praying. Now he says, don't be a hypocrite in your fasting. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Fasting was required on the Day of Atonement. There were other days as well. Pharisees would fast Mondays and Thursdays every week. The hypocrites, they look gloomy. They disfigured their faces so everyone would know they were fasting. It's like the way some of us look when we wake up in the morning. You know, our hair is a mess. We look like a zombie. We look in the mirror and we think to ourselves, that can't be right. Must be some mistake there. I don't really look like that. But it's no mistake. We've got to get to work to put ourselves together for the day. Jesus says the hypocrites leave their normal makeup toothbrush and comb behind. Forget their bath. Forget their nice clothes. Put on the, the ragged clothes. They want people to come up to them and say, hey, you, you don't look okay. Is there something wrong? There's a deliberate wordplay here in this verse that's interesting. These hypocrites make themselves unrecognizable in order to be recognized by others. But of course, this is backwards. Using spiritual disciplines to build our reputations is an abomination. I mean, think about what fasting is. Fasting has been defined as voluntarily going without food or something you enjoy for the sake of a spiritual purpose, spiritual growth, spiritual renewal, praying for something major coming up in your life, dealing with some private sin. It's, it's for your spiritual good. It's not about suppressing a desire. 
Often when we think about fasting, we think of giving up something, fasting from food or the internet or dark, dark chocolate with hazelnuts, whatever it is, we think it's about giving up something. But it's actually not about suppressing desire, but the intense pursuit of it. We fast not because we despise food or want to give it up. We fast because we want something more than food. We say no to food for a time, something we love, in order to fill ourselves with something more satisfying. It's a suppressing of one desire to get a more satisfying thing. We fast in order to enjoy more of God. So, in, so to fast in order... So if your motive in fasting is to get applause from man then that's the complete opposite of the purpose of fasting. We fast to grow in our desire to be known and to be loved and to love the Lord. So Christian, how's your fasting going? It's interesting because in all these areas, giving, praying, and fasting, it's assumed Christians will do them. Jesus is not saying if you maybe one day decide to perhaps fast. Here are some instructions. He doesn't begin his paragraph, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. But when you fast, when you give, when you pray, it's implied the Christian will give, pray, and fast. So if you've never fasted, you could just start by skipping one meal and use that time to pray. Ask God to change your heart and to give you a, a greater desire for him. Just don't flaunt it. No need to have, you know, live blogging updates to your friends about how hungry you are each hour of the day. You know, Jesus tells us, keep it secret. Verses 17 and 18. When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but here it is again, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The your here is emphatic. Your fasting must be different than the hypocrites. Yours should be secret. Anointing your head with oil, that was a way to make yourself look clean. You fix your hair, you change your clothes, look normal. Don't boast about it. Don't schedule a lunch during your fast. I mean, picture it. You're sitting there with your group of friends. Everyone orders the cheeseburger, the large fries, the Oreo milkshake, double the Oreos, and it comes to your turn to order. And you say, yes, actually, I'll have just a bottle of your best local water, room temperature, please. That's all I'll be having today. Yeah, that's it. Just, just one water. I'm fasting. Thank you. Now, you may not have said it exactly, but you inferred it. You guys love burgers and cheese fries, but I love Jesus. I'm fasting. If you're fasting, just don't go to lunch if you can help it. It's not good for you either as you look at those cheese fries, you know? Remember, fasting is not just not eating. It's taking the time you'd normally eat to pray and to spend time with God. Jesus gives us these three examples, giving, praying, fasting, but they're really just three, three ways we distort our spirituality or ministry. Three examples, but there are, are so many more ways we could distort our ministry. Examples of being a hypocrite in our religious activity to use our spirituality to gain admiration. 
mean, we could carry around our biggest three-kilogram ESV study Bible so people think we're the, the greatest theological scholar in the church. We could sign up for the most visible Friday morning ministries so as to be seen by others. We could constantly tell people how busy we are in the ministry. You know, do you enjoy giving people a full picture of your ministry CV so they're amazed by your discipleship meetings, people you pray with? I mean, no one needs to know all that. There's not a trophy for the busiest church member of the year. We don't, we don't give that away. If everyone knows what early hour you make it here to the Marriott on Friday to serve, there may be a problem with your heart. Nor is there an idol for the member who rests the most. Sometimes we can applaud the idol of rest. I'm too busy to serve that day because that's my day with the Lord. I'm taking the weekend to just be with Jesus. Now, what does that even mean? I mean, either you're literally spending all day praying and reading your Bible and meditating, which is great, but if so, no need to tell us. Or if you're not, no need to deceive us. How about this one? Have you ever served, done some ministry activity with, with one eye on the ministry activity and another eye on those people over there that you hope are watching you do the ministry activity? You're stacking chairs, you're moving equipment, you're praying with someone, just kind of hopeful that that person, whoever that may be, is, is watching. Let's not preach or teach or lead our community groups with the motive of trying to impress people. May our social media activity be about glorifying God, not our own accomplishments. Have you ever been upset when you've checked your Facebook post? You thought it was a really, really good post. You check it and just not enough likes or comments. Maybe you even refresh the page at some point to see if there are more likes. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands from anyone. Just let the Lord convict your heart. You need to repent of self-promotion. Is there a secret sin you need to repent of? A sexual sin you've not confessed? Dishonest business, bribes and illegal activity, lying. I mean, do you put forth the faithful Friday Christian here at the Marriott, but throughout the week you're living a totally different way? You're the man in the gorilla suit. Redeemer Church, let's give up acting. Let's give up hypocrisy. Well, the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered a horrific death on the cross to atone for our sins means that we are a desperate, needy people, every single one of us. So don't worry about being found out. We already know. The Bible already told us who you are. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Is what we see in your life what's going on in your heart? Are you the person publicly that you are privately? When we first moved to Dubai over 10 years ago, we moved to a one-bedroom flat right behind Ibn Battuta Mall. It was a cozy place, a memorable, memorable place. We shared uh, the room with our two daughters. We had a slumber party each night with them. It was so much fun. The only problem with the flat was, well, 
well, everything, at least with the maintenance. It was a brand new building, looked good on the outside, but the pipes inside were blocked and filled with cement. The bathroom and toilet were constantly flooding. Water was spraying or dripping from the ceiling on a regular basis. The floors flooded. There was a fungus growing in the ceiling in the hallway, and maintenance couldn't help. It seemed like all the flats were having some issues. At the same time, though, those leaking pipes were starting to damage the outside of the building. And so there were large water stains in the very front of this building. The building owners also noticed this. They didn't fix our pipes, but what they did do is they sent a couple painters over. And what they did is they started on one side of the front of the building, and they started painting to cover up those embarrassing water stains. They went from one side of the building to the other side of the building. And by the time they got done with that side of the building, the other side of the building was struggling again. And so for that year, it seemed that the painters were just over and over and over again covering the outside of this building. They worked hard to keep the outside of the building looking good, but nothing was done about the pipes on the inside. Oh, friend, is this your life? Do you spend all your time painting the externals of your life to look good, giving your energy to reputation management, perfecting the perception of what others think of you? All the while, the pipes of your heart are wasting away. Are you giving any attention to your heart and what you're worshiping? The key to hypocrisy, the key to all this, is to seek God's approval for your life. God is called Father ten times in in these verses from 1 all the way through 18. The real trouble of the hypocrite is that he doesn't know God as his heavenly Father. He's insecure, and so he continues or she continues to seek the approval of others, seeking the approval of man's empty praise. And it is that. It is empty The one boasting about his spirituality and ministry is actually insecure and afraid, trying to earn that security apart from God. Well, the problem is it'll never work. I urge you, friend, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus to be your security. Look to Jesus to be your significance. Look to Jesus for your approval. And friend, if you're working hard, if you're serving hard for this church, you're serving the Lord tirelessly, I want to encourage you, keep going. Keep going going. Keep being faithful. God sees. He he sees you. God sees you. You don't need to let us know. You don't need to be brought on stage to get a gold medal. If you're wrestling with bitterness for not being recognized, recognized in ministry, look to Jesus. Confess your sin and cling to Christ. And Christian, be reminded that Jesus came to die for your hypocrisy. We all struggle with with it, and this is good news. Jesus died for our hypocritical hearts and actions. He was everything he and the Bible said he was. Never hypocritical in any way, perfect in every way, fully God and fully man without sin. He fulfills prophecy, and he keeps his promises. Now, we sinned, and we separated ourselves from God, facing death and judgment But God provided a way for us to come to him through faith in Jesus. When we place our faith in Jesus and turn from our sin, we're set free. We're free to get our significance from Christ alone. We live for the pleasure of God and not the praise of man. We live for a greater reward. See, if we give and we pray and we fast with a motive of pleasing God, reward awaits. 
Friends, this is a much, much better reward than anything this world has to offer. If you give, you shall receive. If you pray, you shall receive. If you fast, you shall receive. It doesn't mean you get a sailboat or that flat in the Burj Khalifa you've seen. But an eternal reward awaits. Heaven awaits. A place without sin, corruption, no temptation, no disease, no discomfort, no death, no insecurity. And I love this. I love thinking about this. No insecurity, meaning we'll be in heaven and we won't worry about what the person next to us thinks of us. We'll be there in heaven. We'll be worshiping God and we won't worry about the people around us and their thoughts. We won't be seeking approval from anyone because we will be there basking in the perfect approval that we get from God. As we're called good and faithful servant. We will have all the approval we've ever wanted, all the approval we've ever needed. Heaven will be a place without stress and anxiety, without tears, without sadness. There will be only gladness. A place recognized by the king of kings will be recognized by the only one that matters. No temptation to pretend. Hypocrisy will be an afterthought. It's a kingdom where our security is complete in God as we feast and worship forevermore. And best of all, we'll be face to face with this God forever and ever and ever. Well, that's a reward to live for. That's a reward to die for. It's our only hope. Oh, Redeemer Church, don't be a hypocrite. Live for God, not man's empty praise. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, free us from hypocrisy. Convict us of our approval idols as we seek our significance from you alone? Would we be a people marked by honesty, living for your pleasure and not man's empty praise? Oh, we pray this in the mighty and powerful and strong and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.